Welcome to another episode of The Movies That Move Us. I'm your host, Al Larson, and joining me today is my co-host, Quince Van Orden. Howdy. And we are also joined by Josh Barrent. Go ahead and say hi. This is the silent time, like I need to give you the, the Johnny Carson moment, but hello. <laughs> you told me that you wanted to discuss two different movies, uh, so we're going to have you on uh, at another time as well to discuss Make Way for Tomorrow. But today we are talking about Billy Wilder's film, The Apartment, from 1960. So this is a film uh, about Bud Baxter. He's a minor clerk in a huge New York insurance company. When he discovers a quick way to climb the corporate ladder, he lends out his apartment to the executives as a place to take their mistresses. Although he often has to deal with the aftermath of their visits, one night he's left with a major problem to solve. When you said Bill Wilders, I thought you said Van Wilders. I was like, did I watch the right movie? <laughs> <laughs> this Van I... Wilders, The Apartment. That's a very different. It is, and it's it's very different for it. I mean, almost the same. Um, I don't know if you know the background of this of this film, but uh, Billy Wilder actually saw the film uh, called Brief Encounter by David Lean. I think it's a 1945, 1946 film. And inside the Brief Encounter uh, film, okay. uh, Billy Wilder is watching. Uh, the two main characters of Brief Encounter are starting to have an affair, and they go and use some friend's apartment to have their their. Uh, their love affair and all that. And Billy Wilder was actually thinking, you know, what's the story with the guy who actually owns the apartment? And that's how he started, you know, going off of this film. Um, but yeah, it's a very different film. It's also very, uh, very headed for its time. I mean, when we watch it now, it's like, oh, okay, well, it's, you know, some guy lending out their apartment and people have sex and that, that's not a big deal. But for its time, it was a, it was a huge deal. Um, I know that Fred McMurray, who plays uh, Sheldrake, um, which is Jack Lemon, Bud Baxter's boss. Um, he actually got stopped in the street multiple times of why are you in such a filthy film? In fact, one woman hit him with a purse because he betrayed them. Because uh, he used to be a Disney actor. He's in a lot of Disney films. He was also in a very big family sitcom called, I think, Three Sons, My Three Sons. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's also okay. in the original yeah. Shaggy Dog. I knew that I, I recognized his face. Yeah, he's also in Double Indemnity. Right. The other Billy yeah. Wilder film from the 40s. Okay. So I do, yeah, I, I just recently bought that one on Criterion, but oh, I haven't watched 4K it yet. I have a lot of beautiful. Criterions that I buy just completely blind. I think you have to. Yeah. So I, that's the version I got is the 4K one. And then, uh, so I, I just buy like a lot of blind buys and I have way too many Criterions and I've only seen like, I think the last time I checked, maybe a quarter, maybe 30% of them. <laughs> So I'm like, I need to actually get to I, watching You know, this. but you have to blind by the criterion because sometimes I really don't know the film. I'm like, well, it looks good. Might as well go with it. But I understand. I have probably maybe 200 criterion films and there are a bunch that I have not watched yet. And because I've, I've like the big Ing Ingmar Bergman yeah, box um, and I maybe I've watched two of the 50 in there. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I have that box set. Yeah. I have the Fellini box set and the the Godzilla box set and I haven't watched <laughs> I haven't watched any of them. Well actually I've seen I've seen Godzilla Classic. one. But it's just like, uh yeah, I need to actually watch these, but they keep putting things I don't know if you're a subscriber oh, to yes. the uh, the Criterion channel, but they keep loading that up with great things. Like 
they had like this huge um they had like eight movies with yeah. Michelle Yo in them. They were all just kung fu films. And I was like, I'm just digging on all of these. And so it it just kind of keeps me going. I like I keep buying all these movies and I'm like, there's no space for them. But I I just and then I just watch everything else on the Criterion channel instead. So yeah, I'm in a, I'm <laughs> I mean in a that but that streaming service is just so great. There's so many things that you know I always want to watch, but they're so like particular or peculiar that you'll never find them on streaming services and Criterion they can always find them. And so yeah, I get stuck there. Like I think I did like all the erotic thrillers they had yep. last month. But yeah, no, I totally get it. Also, I don't know if, mm, if you know, yeah, I, have, yeah. I have a huge Blu-ray collection. I think I have about like 1500 films. My best friend who I've moved in with is like, stop, please don't buy any more. Cool. <laughs> but it's just fun. It's like, you got the disc, <laughs> don't have to worry about it. Yeah, that, that seems. But hey, it's the apartment. <laughs> I stopped buying because of streaming. I used to be like that. All the time, but uh, um, I was gonna say I I do agree that th I felt like this was extremely progressive for its time, and even um, I know that we might not think of it now, but the excuse me him renting out his apartment for people to cheat that's not you know not that people don't cheat all the time there's plenty of dramas on that but it just is a an interesting concept um, of, of kind of pimping his home oh no it, it is uh you know and just like you said there's plenty of films that are talking about you know cheating i mean i think like half of woody allen's catalog is just about cheating but yeah it, it's a it's also just a, it's a great twist and it's also a film where you just get to see the best performance by jack lemon i think this is my favorite performance of his uh and he has many like i mean when people think of jack lemon i'm sure they think of like you know some like it hot or i don't know fortune cookie or Mr. Robert, he has, he has tons of great mm -hmm. films and he has great performances. But this one's just so subtle. Like, there's there's no overacting here. This is just this very raw uh, performance. And I'm so, mm -hmm. I get so upset when, I, when he, he lost that Oscar to, I think it was Burt Lancaster for Elmer Gantry. Another great performance, but just Jack Lemons is so good. And it's, just, it's one of those films where it is a classic. And when people, do see it, it's just like gosh how have i never seen this before and for me it's one of like i, I like to put this one into my sweet and sour sauce movies where uh, for me sweet and sour sauce is just like this you know you have the best world of comedy and best world of, of drama you know every laugh you get there's another tier and there's only so many great films that do this and the apartment is just one of them and it it's just such a great script i mean there's so many like um lines are just like fuck what a great line and, you know as a writer you're just like oh why couldn't i write this like that but <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's it's in part the, the yeah. writing but it's also the delivery and jack lemon he's he's got great comedic delivery so he he really nails some of those lines there's like <laughs> the part where uh margie right. Um, is like they're dancing and whatnot cheek to cheek and she's like hey where will we go my place or yours and he's like might as well go to mine. Everybody else does. But like the delivery oh, on that is perfect. Uh -huh. Yeah. He, he's he he's is a phenomenal. I, I was telling um, Al, I, I <laughs> right. watched uh, Grumpy Old Men growing up. Um, both of them. I don't really remember 
Jack Lemon. It wasn't until I, I was in college and I did a film class and I saw oh. um, Some Like It Hot and I loved it. And I was like, oh, this has got that same guy. And then I realized, oh, wait, I've seen him in a lot of stuff. And, you know, I, he's he, uh, more than I thought. I, I've also <laughs> seen and read uh, The Odd Couple as a play. Great play. Um, he does great. He, he and uh, oh, Walter Matthew uh, and are thing with great together. Is, him and Shirley McLean have such great chemistry. And I think after this, they do a few more films together. Um, and yeah, no, it's just mm-hmm. they have great love, love chemistry there. Um, hmm. That's just it's so great to watch. Um, though the funny thing with this film is um, with Shirley McLean, she likes to improvise a lot. And Billy Wilder's not an improviser. He does not like them going off the script. But, you know, Jack Lemmon will ride with whatever's happening. And so a lot of it, they, they bounce back and forth. Ooh. They stay with the script a lot. But Shirley MacLaine likes to kind of play around with a bit more. And, and Jack Lemmon's always a person that's like, yes, and type of person. And so the chemistry is just so great between them. I absolutely love them together. And also, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I like this discussion, but let's, sure. let's go back to the very beginning with you. Oh, yeah. Um, so when I was younger, my dad and I, we used to go to the mall every Friday night. And back then, I think it was Suncoast and Sam Goody, um, you know, those movie stores back then. Um, every Friday night, you go, you know, go ahead and buy a movie, whatever one you want. And so because I just didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't like have like uh, many toys. I just liked having movies. And so one night, um, I just like buying classic films or learning more. And this one just had a really interesting cover. And I knew Jack Lemmon from other stuff, uh, but like when he was older. So I never seen him like as a young guy. And I saw that one best picture. I was like, well, you know, I want to see all the best picture films. So I'll, I'll grab it. I think I was about like 12 when I, when I uh, bought this movie. And I just came home with it. And just watching the very, you know, very first seconds of the film, the theme is just so beautiful. Um, and it just, it captured me just right then. And I also just love seeing, you know, old New York of how it used to look and that old style. that's kind of like mad men looking almost that type of type of style. And it just, it, it captured my, me mm-hmm. very fast. And also I don't think I was like a very cool person when I was a kid. So I really connected with Jack Lewin being kind of a, you know, kind of a loner, kind of a loser, just trying to make it in the world. Right. Um, and yeah, it just, it, I fell in love with the movie. I fell in love with Jack Lemmon because mm-hmm. I felt like that's, because, you know, every film you see like has a loser or something going on, like George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, okay, he's a loser, but, you know, he has tons of friends and he has like a lot of great things going for him. And so this is like the first time. Yeah. I was going to say, I never felt, I never felt Jack Lemmon was a loser. Because, like, oh, he, they even yeah. reference he's an Ivy Leaguer. Um, he's yeah, smart I mean, and the, brilliant. The wise, this character. But he doesn't have any friends. Like, you'd think that, like, if he's an Ivy Leaguer, like, shouldn't he have, like, met people in college that he wants to hang out with? Or, like, he doesn't do anything with his time. He's like, He stays and works late every day. He, he's, I would he say seems that to be a traveler. Because he, he talked about how he used to live in Ohio. He's about to move at the whatnot, end. And he was going to leave. So yeah, just, maybe yeah, he doesn't uh, stay too long really, to really make crashed up. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, I would definitely I agree with Josh that he doesn't I mean, seem like the most exciting. Obviously, have a backbone in the, in the very beginning of the film. 
but he finds his own courage in it. I guess uh, for me, it just it gave me like the the path to like find my own self to mm-hmm. you know find my own courage in that way. Because not everybody has to be you know, the John Wayne or you know the Harrison Ford. Is there's everybody has a different path, and Jack Lemmon has this certain path of becoming a good person. I find that that this very interesting. So I I probably watched this mm. movie close to nine eight, eight or nine years ago. It was like when I when I was in college and I was starting to get into films. I didn't have like parents who were like really into films to like get me excited about them. I knew I liked movies all the time, and uh, but I just I just didn't really get much of an opportunity or like a film education growing up. Um, so I watched this like I said, eight, nine years ago when I was first in college and this movie, I was, I recognized it was good, but I didn't like, I didn't connect with it as much as, as I did later on, like this most recent time. So I find it really interesting that you're connecting with this character at 12 years old that you're like at 12, I did watch some black and white things. I would watch some twilight zone episodes. I would watch, uh, you know, the odd movie where it was like, uh, it's a wonderful life. So like I I had watched some of them, but I wasn't like really connecting with them as, as much as like, you know, an exciting action film or something. So, you know, were, were you, do you remember like the first time that you were like really struck by movies at a, at a young age? Oh goodness. Um, so for me, um, yeah, so my, my family was always in the movies. We always went to the movie theaters, uh, you know, a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, um, I think one of them that just catching me while I was really, really young, I think it was like six or so, was probably Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, so when I was like, man, what a mm-hmm. great movie. I wish I could be you know, a director. And my parents were like, well, you can be a director. You just have to you know, go to school and actually do things. And so you know, that was, I think, my first love of trying to be a, a movie director, a film director. Um, it was probably that first moment. But as I, I, so I kept going... Um, you know, I, I watched a lot of those action films and all that. My grandmother, you know, hated them, hated all, all those action films, like especially ones with Jackie Chan and all the, all those things. She just wasn't <sighs> a big fan, even though I loved them, like mm-hmm. Police Story and Police Story 2 and The you know, First Strike. But she was like, no, that's not film. And so she rented Psycho when I was like eight years old. She goes, this is a movie. <laughs> and so she watched it and we watched it together. I'm like, this is, I'm never going to take a shower again. But it made me fall in love with Hitchcock. <laughs> Um, after that, I just had a huge obsession with with um, Alfred Hitchcock, and Vertigo was like one of those big films. It was like, oh, this is my main obsession. So Vertigo will always take the place of my obsession of becoming uh, a great filmmaker. Am I there yet? Absolutely not, but it's there. That's re- that's really amazing. But personally, the the apartment just mm-hmm. really did it for me. So then, I it sounds like this very first viewing of the movie, you you like really identified with it. What, like, what drew you to this one? Was it? Did you say that your dad had specifically said you should watch this? No, actually, my dad probably didn't know much about movies. He was just like, whatever makes you happy. Oh. I don't. I don't think he ever really cared for black and white movies until oh. until he got older. Um, but no, I, it's just one of those browsing things I always did because I always wanted to know more about classic films. Um, cause you get to see all new films on like NBC, TNT mm-hmm. all the time when I was a kid. So for me, I was just like, well, you know, I won't know, know more about real you know, Robert Redford or all the president's men or, you know, Butch Cassidy Sundance kid. And so it was just, this was actually a blind buy. I didn't know wow. nothing about the apartment and it, it was 
probably the best blind buy I had. And it just, uh, it spoke to me. And, you know, when you talk to people about Billy Wilder, everybody has their favorite and he has multiple mm -hmm. classic films. I mean, if, if you go, yeah, what's your favorite Billy Wilder? What do you think is a classic? Some will say Sunset Boulevard, Double Indemnity, um, Sabrina. Um, Seven Year Itch. Ones, yeah. You know, something like a hot. Yeah, Seven Year Itch. I mean, and all these, it's like, they're not wrong. Nobody's wrong here. So it just comes down to what's your opinion. And for me, The Apartment is, I think, his, his best work. I absolutely loved it. I was telling uh, Al that... Out of all the, the movies that we've done podcasts for and ones that I haven't seen, this has probably been my favorite of new to me. Um, and oh, so, good. <laughs> uh, it, it definitely was. It, it hit, hit all the right spots. And, and I agree with you that he, we, we do relate to him in the sense of, are we the person who takes or has been, you know, I've been taken advantage of? Um, and at some point in our life, we've probably been taken advantage of. And then can we be like him and gain that confidence to just walk out and, uh, you know, leave a bad situation? And, um, you know, even if he didn't get the girl, he was still planning on going and finding probably someone who would uh, love him for being him. Thank you. Because, um, you know, I think it still happens even, you know, today. I, I can't say, like, oh, I'm a perfect person. Uh, but, yeah, we, I think all the time we get taken advantage of or we, we are constantly wanting someone to, to love us or to like us. And so, you know, we'll change ourselves just to, to have that person with us. And to watch this film, you, you see, and you do see him do it. Like, in the middle of the film, I think in Christmas, you know, during the Christmas scene, he's very part of the, you know, the, the culture now of, well, I can get you a better job or I can do this. Mm -hmm. And... And, uh, you know, as we keep going, is that really the life that we want? You know, do we want to constantly just um, be a people pleaser or do we want to live our own lives? And so to get to see him change and to, to do that, it gives you like the hope that you can do that same thing. Um, and there's just so many great scenes in this film. Um, I feel like at the core of I don't this know if movie, go into that now, but <laughs> at, at the core of this movie, like the bigger, the greatest theme is that it's all about standing up for yourself. And so I think that in, it makes it still very hyper relevant in, in today's world where everybody is looking for, uh, you know, acknowledgement and, uh, they're trying to be seen by other people and they're not necessarily, we, have, we just have like such this influencer culture and it's all about pleasing other people, creating content for other people, like trying to like try to provide the content that they want. And so I feel like this as a movie is just that hyper relevance to, to even today. And that's what makes it kind of stand out so much. Like it, his job, he hardly goes into any of the things about his job. And so we're not being bogged down by little minor details that are like throwing us throwing us off or making it feel like it's old. It's um, it, it really just kind of keeps hearkening back to that same kind of theme of standing up for yourself, being learning like how you can be that independent person rather than so dependent on, on others. And yeah, it, I agree with you. It's, it's still very relevant. And also 
the other the other thing I get from it is, you know, work is not everything. Your job is not your whole life. And I think that's always going to stay relevant because I think so many of us yeah. just get caught up with our own one, just like you said, uh, but also, you know, just being bogged down by work because you know, I've seen so many people that just work, 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 and then they get to retirement. And it's just like, well, what do I do now? Because you never, you know, you never focused on yourself the whole time. And I think it's, it's a great reminder. So I do have a, a bit of a controversial take of the on this film, but maybe maybe this is something that you guys have noticed as well. I don't feel like Fran's <clears throat> character, Fran Kub- Kubelik, um actually makes a a similar evolution that that Jack Lemmon's character does in this. Um, you know, I think her evolution is to let go of the guy. I think for her, she is just in a really unhealthy relationship. And I think her, her journey is to get rid of him and to move on. I think she does do that. I, yeah, he, she doesn't have like the full like 180 turn that Jack Lemmon does. But uh, I, she certainly has, has, has grown from her conflict. There, there is growth. For sure. I would say that like, if we look at some, one of the aspects, you know, she, she laments in front of, of Baxter at one point where she like, why can't I ever fall in love with someone nice like you? You know, she, she wants, she realizes that. Shitty thing to say. (laughs) I know. Like one, that's like such a terrible thing. Could you imagine? Friend zoning him to the end degree. That's the friend zone. Oh, it just hurts. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys have been there before where you're like, you're in love with the person. Like, yeah, I just wish I could be, you know, be in love with somebody like you. It's like, fuck you. I did all this work. <laughs> but, you know, Fran also has like some of the most depressing dialogue in this film. Like, you're just like, oh, girl, you need to see someone. Like, um, <laughs> I think I think it's the same conversation you're talking about. I think the lines are like, uh, she says, you know, what do you call it when somebody keeps uh, getting smashed up in an automobile accident and but goes, you know, a bad insurance risk? And she goes, <laughs> you know, that's me with men. I've been jinxed from the world uh, go first time as I was ever kissed oh. was in a in a cemetery. And you're like, goodness, girl, you are just you're you're in so much so much trouble with she yourself. Just, she does have like she does have like the morbid lines. It it, it almost feels like. Yeah. Um, what is it, what is it like? I'm trying to think of some of these movies. Like there are a bunch of these like kind of Halloweeny type films, um, like Hotel Transylvania. You got like the girl who's kind of a bit more gothic, uh, you know, vampire girl, but then she's got like a little wacky boyfriend. Yeah. Like somebody who's just like (laughs) totally, totally different. Like another line that she says, when you're in love with a married man, you shouldn't wear mascara. She just has all these rough lines where she's just talking about stuff and it's like yeah just one-liners that just like pierce you yes oh absolutely so with my kind of controversial take is that she says this line like why can't i fall in love with someone nice like you and she doesn't fall in love with someone nice like him he changes he evolves to being an alpha male type you know however you want to describe it like he realizes i'm going to put away like i'm gonna get rid of my job and my apartment things that were like kind of contributing him to him being like a nice guy and like what would kind of like leave him like he was always being very dependent on like if i keep my apartment 
I will get risk. Like I will get job promotions and blah, blah, blah. And he realizes like, no, I don't want their respect anymore. I'm, I have evolved past it. And so she doesn't fall in love with that same guy that she laments that she's not falling in love with. She's falling in love with Baxter who has really, he's evolved and has become independent, similar to how, you know, Mr. Sheldrake and some of the other execs kind of act where they don't need somebody else's approval for, for what they're doing. And so she's falling in love with a different version of Baxter. And that's, that's why I'm saying that she doesn't have that like full change in, in this film. And I, I can see that. Um, I, for me, by, you know, I don't know how it is for you guys. I know when I, you know, I'm out in the dating scene, uh, every time I try too hard, nothing ever works. And when the times where I just like, you know what, fuck people, I'm going to stop trying. I'm just going to be myself. Is actually when I get the most success in dating. And I feel like it's the same thing here. Mm-hmm. He's trying so damn hard to get her. And then once he stops trying, she's, she's there. And I, so I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, she's not falling in love with the same guy. But then again, would they actually be happy together if he didn't change and fall as have that romance? So I think if they had the romance early in the film, no. it wouldn't have worked out. It was the right moment no. for them. You know, I don't know. I, I just enjoyed it. I really did. I enjoyed it for what it's worth. Uh, every every moment of it. I, I did, uh, like, I wasn't uh, expecting the twist. And you spoiled it before I got to that twist, that it was going to go sad. And then I realized what had happened. And uh, I was like... And I knew that it's an old movie. They're not going to actually show someone's suicide by. Um, but I was also hoping for just some kind of sweet revenge on not just Mr. Sheldrake, but all the other uh, cheating executives, you know. Um, and and he like laughed it off. Oh, she, the secretary, uh, just pulled on me basically. Um, but, uh, I was really hoping, but I, I understand it's a man's world in 1961 compared to now, uh, you know, cancel culture, or you might say, if... <laughs> well, uh, Al and I were joking, like, what if we, how could we remake this and, and joking about a, a BYU version oh, I think we we'll just turn um, into the movie she saw of, at that point. Of like an of uh, of an RA who's got a uh, like an RA who keeps renting out his room to other students so that they he's can. The only one it. who doesn't share a room. That's, that's very smart. You should probably. What what's that? Because there's always that uh, that Mormon film company always does like you know really bad like B list films. You should send it to them. They might actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> better than the other crap yeah we, we just have to figure out i think uh, i think it was more just the the ending that we were just trying to figure out like what what would even like play out with that but how is he getting promoted or right. whatever uh i was saying that he was renting it out to professors <laughs> um, <laughs> for grades maybe but... now i think there was i feel like there was another movie that came out within the past past decade that was similar to like the, the idea of the apartment, you know, these guys all share like an apartment key that they like, oh, bring up yes. their mistresses too. But oh, I think yes. it's yes. more like a thriller. 
I didn't see this one, but I don't think I do happen. remember this. But I do remember that film. Yeah, I think I think that movie bombed at the, at the theaters. Yeah, I know which one you're talking yeah, about. Probably, I mean, clearly, since yeah, like I don't, I don't, I definitely didn't yeah. hear anything more about it, and so like, yeah, I'm guessing it didn't do well. It wasn't like the most amazing of of premises or whatnot, but. I, I do think that there is like still a like I think that this premise is a great one and can be can be used multiple oh, times. Course. I do think that there is one thing there's like one of the versions of this movie. I'm gonna send you guys a picture of like uh one of the posters for, for the apartment that I actually think <laughs> kind of does it like a huge disservice. Give me a give me I'm a trying to see here. which one you I'll pick out because it has yeah, this film has a lot of different posters, and a lot of them I really don't like. Um, I, I think they had such a hard time marketing this film back then. Because back then, it was considered a filth film. And so, I think they always like try to find like a different way of marketing this film, and a lot of them is like, what are you doing? Like, even the, even like some of the covers now, I think the first time I came on Blu-ray, it had like the ugliest poster. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, it's this. Um, I almost have it ready to pull up, but it's like basically the two of them are like the two guys on either side of her, and she's kind of given this like little shrug, like she's just like, "Oh, yes! kind of I, a thing." Yes, I hate that yeah. poster. <laughs> yes, and you think they should have yeah, put him in, the, in like it. Yeah, that's what they have. Anniversary <laughs> cover for the apartment, and. Yeah, I, yeah, I no, hate it's this cover so much. It's giving you like it's a you know a tri you know love triangle, which it's not. It's yeah, it's a, it's a bad cover. Um, I think Arrow Academy did a a, a Blu-ray um a box set for it, and that one's a lot better. I wish I had it you know, mm-hmm. picture for you to, to see, but th- they definitely did a lot better with it, and they also did a a 4K restoration for the apartment just beautiful like the restoration is just beautiful what they did with that so what what would be a better like looking poster in my mind would, would you put jack lemon in a <laughs> pimp outfit or is because he's pimping so i think for the the arrow <laughs> academy they had basically like a drawing uh, it was it was a drawn poster but it was jack lemon waiting outside while two people were in his apartment upstairs and it makes it it gives you a better um, look of what the movie really is. Yeah, because this looks like a, a great romantic comedy, which this film, yeah, has romance, but this is a sweet and sour sauce movie. This is a this is a comedy drama. Yeah, dramedy. Dramedy. Yeah, like I, I don't think there's any poster that really does this movie justice, but I am still out there trying to find an original uh, movie poster for it. Because I think I have everything of this movie. I think I have like the the script book that they came out with it. I have the vinyl of the music, but uh, yeah, poster is hard to find on this one. Yes, that's that's the one. Yeah, here I, I included the arrow poster, and I like this one a lot. I I think that this one has like yeah. good minimalist colors. And uh, sorry for all the uh, the listeners who will just have to go find these on their own, but I just feel like. The shrugging one makes it look way too like comedic, and I don't feel like this. Like it starts off very comedic, 
and it has like a funny premise at the beginning, but it like takes that sour turn very, you know, probably 20 minutes in or something. And it's just like, it's not a comedy then. So don't put like a comedy poster over the, the top of it. So I, I like the, the vibe that this, this arrow yeah, poster. It gives you like the, a depressing instead. comedy. It's, like it's, it's, it's a, a comedy with Prozac. So what would you say is the, the funniest part to you? What, what made you oh laugh my goodness. Um, out so loud? So a few scenes, but the one that I always remember, because I just feel it like deep in my soul, is when he is sitting down. I think it's like in the first 10 minutes of the film, he's sitting down to have dinner, uh, basically like a you know, microwave dinner, and he's sitting down, he's watching TV. And, you know, he gets excited, <laughs> you know, flipping through channels. And one's like, and here's Grand Hotel, but first, our messages. And so he's like, oh, okay. And he keeps clicking through, oh, clicking so through, compared. and he goes back. And it's like, and now, the Grand Hotel, but now here's our alternative sponsors. Here's their messages. And he's like, oh, my gosh. I just feel that because as, you know, as a younger person, when I was watching TV, you're always just disappointed to see the movie. But there's so many damn commercials. It's, I mean, the same like with Hulu when you're doing streaming or you know, doing YouTube. It's like, how long is this ad? When can I just get to the, to the um, what I wanted to see? Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Cool that's never. I, I joke about that. He, yeah. He, he, I yeah. like this guy because he hates <laughs> ads as much as I do. It. This is one thing I think we all agree on. It's like, God, Why? just such it's so funny but also so lonely and i feel like we all can connect with that we all have that lonely night where we have our dinner and all we want to do is just have a little bit of entertainment yeah he's got that like he he has so little free time you know he's working extra late and then he like has to hang out around his apartment and just walk around until until people leave and so he's like i finally have a a second to like watch something and then she's like, oh, this is never, this is never happening. And so I think it's like a greater message of like, he, he doesn't have time oh, yeah. to enjoy things for himself. Are you Quint? Uh, for, for me, I was going to say, or, or one that I definitely know. I, besides that laughed out loud was he, ha- he has a cold because he'd been out uh, way too late. And, and he's talking with Mr. Sheldrake. And he's got his like little nose sniffer, and he, Mr. Sheldrake, offers him tickets, and he's like, "You're not gonna tell anyone, right? I'm not gonna let it slip." And he just squirts it out, and Mr. Sheldrake is trying not to laugh or or react to that, but I just <laughs> and he improvised that. Spit take myself. Yeah, Jacqueline improvised uh, that piece. Uh, and that. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. I remember that that spot. Hmm. I like that part. I think he he has got like some great comedy just like the part where he's with uh yeah. with margie and they're just like dancing cheek to cheek they're just like oh, yeah. both slumped up <laughs> against each other they're just such a weird dance <laughs> they're barely kind of shuffling along but yeah like the there's some some great little moments in there you know i thought uh, when i when i first watched the movie i did think it was like kind of amusing for the for the spaghetti strainer, but when I watched it again, I was like, "No, this is this is a dumb thing." But I guess well, it works it, for the it's time. It's very fun. It's just it's very cute. Whatever. Um, obviously, this is a man who does not know how to cook. Uh, <laughs> has any type of utensils? Yeah, he seems to have a very well put together apartment, except for his like kitchen. Oh yeah, well, he, like, doesn't seem like he seems to know what's going on his in kitchen there that much. Because by the time he gets it back, it's like what nine o'clock at night, ten o'clock at night. And everybody's eating or drink everything. Yeah. 
what a pain. Mm-hmm. We kind of talked briefly about like the other apartment movie that it may have influenced. Are there any other movies that you feel like the apartment has oh, directly gosh, influenced you know, or received influence from? I don't know. The watch the Van Wilde. <laughs> oh, with Ryan Reynolds? The Van Wilder movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't really think of one in my head at the moment. It's popping me. What about uh, Mad Men in general? Oh, yeah. It's certainly I mean, I mean, that maybe it's style. That era of uh, executive. Um, I just can't think of anything that's just, you know, that's. You just see it and go, oh, that's the apartment. Uh, I know for me, I've I've been working on a script. I'm just like I've just been trying to find just that right. right sweet and sour feeling that the apartment has. I just haven't made it there yet. But, um, and there's so many movies where I was, you know I watch them. I go, oh, mm-hmm. well, that's that. Like you know, Fire the Days of Summer. I go, well, that's Andy Hall. But this film, I don't I don't know if there's one film that's particular. That I go, oh, that's the apartment. Um, there's certain scenes where I go, oh yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's what makes it feel fresh. Is that they're like it it's a great premise but it hasn't been like redone a ton and so it's just like oh yeah like that's why it's it's so fresh it's not i mean like i still love seven samurai even though it gets like redone all the time a bug's life and you know star uh, like uh, magnificent seven yeah a bunch of things but it's like it's still a pretty quality one but this one it's it's a quality story and the other thing i think that people don't really um I don't think they appreciate this one as enough is the cinematography is really beautiful in this film. I mean, they use the the whole screen. The framing is just beautiful. Yes. And also, even for such a drab like building, they, they make the, the design of the building just so beautiful and just wonderfully shot. Yeah, I, I noticed that like they have a really great framing for his apartment, especially just so that they can kind of like frame him in the foreground while like the that back door to his bedroom is always like you know maybe it's it's closed or has her in it and she's like kind of coming out and like it's a nice a nice way to space out separate it into two halves i think but the great thing that i absolutely love about billy wilder and this happens a lot where you know some filmmakers are great writers but their films never look that pretty like for woody allen you know great writer and I have to say, most I'm a huge fan of Woody Allen's films, but a lot of them aren't very pretty. They're just standard, in a way, mm-hmm. just the way they're shot. But with Billy Wilder, I mean, you have probably some of the best scripts, mm-hmm. but also some of the most beautiful films. Like, there's just the crafting of the whole thing. Like you said in the apartment, the, the way they stage everything is just so masterful, but it's not the only time he does this. I mean, Sunset Boulevard is also another beautifully black and white uh, film. And same with Double Indemnity, with the you know her up on the on the staircase. Uh, he's a master at at direction, with not just you know his own lines and and you know directing the actors, but he knows how how to craft these the frames and you know what aspect ratio is going to look best for for the film. And they're just absolutely fantastically done. I think after the apartment, I think his his quality kind of goes down. But everything before the apartment is just beautifully directed. So in like 1960, I mean, we've, we've already got color films up until this point. Do you, do you know why he like 
chose to do this one in black and white. In, yeah, I don't know 60s. why he, he chose to do black and white. I'm very glad he did, though, because it worked so well. Um, and I think it's just an artistic choice, though, because at this point uh, in the industry, you're you're choosing to do black and white or color. There's no real you know budgetary differences. Uh, but um, you know, it's the black and white really works. Like I don't know. I always think of this film as like, what if it was in color? I think it kind of loses some of that um, that style and some of that. I don't know. It's just something I love. It has like that more depressing uh, look to it. Um, but yeah, I don't know why. I think with this movie, it's trying to have like a very black and white moral oh, sure, yeah. to it. And so I feel like that like en- is enhanced with the, the gray scale um, that it would be lost somewhat. Like, I mean, sure, they could have they could dress everybody in, in certain right. colors or whatnot. But I think that the black and white works really well. I mean, 1960, they that was the same year yes. that Psycho came out. Also, well, you had to do white. it for, for certain so, budgetary things. I mean, other other movies were, were yeah. doing the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, for Hitchcock, he was trying to hide blood, which was what, like chocolate syrup. But um, yeah, I think Billy Wilder, yeah. I think it took him a while to, to get into color. I can't really think of a, a colored film he had uh, before The Apartment. I'm sure he had one. Oh, no, you know what? I think he did. I think he had like, oh, no, Seven, seven Year Itch was in color. Uh, Spirit of St. Louis. Yeah, so I don't know why he chose black and white for this one, but it was the perfect choice. Just the perfect choice. I always have a, a little bit of a love for black and white. So then let me ask this. Where would you rate this on top black and white movies of all time? For you. Oh, gosh. So for me, um, just uh, as a film, in, do you mean like just black and white shot, like the cinematography, or just like as a just a great black and white film? Black and white films in general. Um, where would you rate this out of... Oh, okay. One to a hundred, or whatever you want to do it, or the top. right. So for me, it would be in the top ten. I, I think this, this is a great film all around. Um, I'm biased though because this is this is one of my favorite films. I think this this ties up for me as you know my my favorite film. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's so many great you know black and white films. I mean, you, I can't you know say that you know Casablanca is a, one of the best black and white films of all time. But the apartment, I think, is just as great as a classic as Casablanca. You know, uh, I will uh, say I think Casablanca is a little overrated. But uh, this was not. This <laughs> hit the sweet spot for me. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, there's just so many black and white films. Yeah. I, w- I want to jump in and, and ask you maybe a little bit more about like some of the, the films that, that you've done. Maybe you can kind of illuminate a little bit more. We, we've had some filmmakers on um, in various fashions. We had somebody who, uh, who did a lot of editing and somebody who made like a nudist film because they're a nudist. Um, you know, like what, what type of voice do you try to bring to your own filmmaking? Gosh, um, so for me, I always wanted to, you know, to be a writer and director. Mm-hmm. So for me, I always looked to that, you know, Woody Allen or Billy Wilder. And as I just grow older, you know, Billy Wilder is just, his stuff is just, it never ages for me. It, it just always still seems relevant. And especially his dialogue. It just, it's so damn good. Mm-hmm. And it's always portrayed in a, in a very good way. Like, you know, because some, sometimes we have a, a line a bad actor can make it, you know, awful. Mm-hmm. But 
he just does so well to make sure that you know certain lines aren't over dramatic over dramatic or you know being overacted it's just at the sweet spot so for me i i always like a film that has great dialogue and so i always try to do my best with that and i think as a you know as a filmmaker you have to find your voice um you know you can imitate somebody else for a while but you you gotta find your own voice and i'm sure you probably have the same thing because you you know i'm sure you have the same thing with um because you draw cartoons yeah. and, and visuals, don't yes. you? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it's the same thing for you. You have to find your own personality and your own style. And, and yeah, and as, as much as like I, I will, I draw a lot of reference from. You know, I can I can point to a couple Instagram artists and some uh, like Bruce Tim who did like the Batman animated cartoon from the '90s. Mm-hmm. And I, I find Which people I like, but it's like, but eventually it's like, but that's not what I like, I want to be able to draw my own thing. It's like, I compile all of that together and what, uh, what I compile together plus my own limitations and ability of, of it, that I can create. That's my style. That's how I've always defined it. Al, I won't lie. Sure, I mean, no, we I all, sorry, go your, ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, Al, I, I, I want to see your version of the Batman animated series or justice league, or even how, Bruce Tim even did a Conan superhero on Conan. Uh, it was great. I'll, I'll show you some stuff. I like. Yeah. Oh, I like to see it too. You should do some Batman Beyond stuff too. <laughs> oh yeah. Especially, God, I, I'm sure that series. you guys have heard about the uh, the new, uh, supposedly the like, the new Batman Beyond idea for a movie was like riding on the coattails of the flash doing well and the flash has not done very well at all so supposedly there's not going to be any any uh any hope for a batman beyond film anytime soon at least yeah anytime soon which is too bad i i do think that i don't think it's out yet because i know they have just all have to go uh, and buy a lot of tickets for the flash (laughs) even though you don't want to because i've seen right Uh, but I do know Michael Keaton has a contract that he's he's there for a bet, and I would bet that he's the Bruce Wayne they're going to use for Batman oh, Beyond. They, they uh, have to. I feel like he'd be great. I would just I if they do do that, if they and if they if they keep him for that, then I think they need to do get Tim Burton. I'd love to see his style of of Batman <laughs> Beyond. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, what do you guys know, want for? To play as Terry in in Batman Beyond, in a live action. Oh, I've been asked this so many times in the last That's few tough, months. Because... Who did you say, Quinn? Oh, I was I was just gonna say that's gonna be tough because he's got to be like, you know, almost er- early twenties, so he looks like he's still in high school. Yes, yeah, so I, I can think of some actors if they were like if they were to do it like right now, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, like I wouldn't mind, uh, the, the guy who played Hawk for the, um, Oh, Hawk from the karate kid show. It, the yeah. Cobra yeah. Kai. Cobra Kai. Um, his, you know, he's already done combat, you know, training stuff like that. So he, he's already in good shape. You just dye his hair black and you know, he could pull it off, but it'd have to be like done now. That's what I'm saying is that, I think if this is going to be in a few years, then you've got to look at someone in a few years. You know what I mean? Right. Um, no, actually, I I could actually see that guy. 
um yeah he's he's kind of got like that temperamental personality that you could kind of read as being like he needs to be humbled a little bit before he's he can become the batman that'd be cool yeah i'm excited to see what they do in that universe josh back to you oh (laughs) no uh but going back to what you said you know having your own foundations you know to to build your own personality and your your artwork uh yeah for me you know billy wilder is way up there for me um for, for my own filmmaking i always look at hitchcock I know for Billy Wilder, I don't know if you know the filmmaker, but he, uh, Billy Wilder had a sign in his offices, what would Ernst Lubitsch do? And Ernst Lubitsch uh, directed To Be or Not To Be, um, Shop Around mm-hmm. the Corner. Um, in any case, Billy Wilder, Wilder uh, saw him as like the great filmmaker uh, for him. Um, so I mean, for me, I always go, what would Billy Wilder do? Or what would Hitchcock do to you know, do this shot here? There are certain there are certain people I go okay, what would they do because these are my guys. Where is their foundation? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but you always have to find your own your own voice in it. But everybody has inspiration. When, when you have been making a film, do you do you watch a lot of films while you are in process of shooting something so that you can kind of be like looking for certain shots or certain ideas? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, the, the greatest challenge though, is sometimes, you know, midway through, um, making a film, uh, sometimes I watch a film that's not at all the same style and I'm going, Oh, I wish I could do that. That'd be great. And I'm going, no, Josh, stick to the plan, stick to the plan. Cause you, cause when you're in a, when you're filming a film, you, you just feel like you're at war the entire time. Like you're just moving pieces to see, uh, what's, what's getting destroyed. Um, it's just it's so exhausting. So for me, I do look at films to kind of help me out to see where I want to want to go with certain shots, or um, to look at how to see how you know, a certain filmmaker has done something else. Uh, so I don't really watch like a full film, but I do go to, like certain scenes a lot of the times. Uh, every every film I do, there are like probably ten films that I have watched and go, okay, I kind of want to do this, 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 or this from it. But at the end of the day, it still can have my own twist, my own personality with it. I was going to say, that sounds like Michael Bay and why to use drone shots. Oh my gosh. And he's just like, I want that. Let's throw it in there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Michael Bay has been a true artist in a long time. He used to be so good, too. Like, his 90s action films were fantastic. And then I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if like, money went up his asshole. But, I mean, he's, he's crazy. Does he still do Transformers yeah, maybe, films? What does he do? I don't think he did the newest okay. one, but I think he's like at least a producer on all of them. So. I mean, I know he's so successful. I think he's like still doing. Don't get me wrong; he is a successful man. Oh yeah, I, I just his films uh, to me haven't really spoken to me in a long time. A friend of mine he he works um, on various film sets mm-hmm. in in Hollywood. Um, he does like some lighting and grip work and whatnot. He was working with a guy who had worked with Michael Bay on a pro- on a production, and like during the the guy was like they had like a drive that they had to go on, and so this guy was telling him all about this Michael Bay story where Michael Bay he was he w- he would always arrive very last on set, and if anybody else arrived after him, that was a huge no no. This guy he shows up on set earlier in the day and he's like, hey, I, I want to bring my 
my brand new motorcycle that I just bought. I want to like show it off to everybody. And he's like telling this to like one of the, the crew chief guys or whatever. And he's like, Hey, it's re- it, I'll be really quick. I'll just like hop back home. And I just want to grab my motorcycle. I just want to show it off to everybody. So the guy's like, you really shouldn't, but if you really feel like you want to go ahead, I guess so. So the guy races home and Michael Bay, he, he gets there uh, before this guy has arrived back. And so he's in the parking lot, sees this guy with a motorcycle and he like gives a call to, to this like crew chief dude. And he's like, Hey, who, who's this guy over here? Who's got like this motorcycle, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, they're just shooting like a commercial. It's just like some, some very small, like two days work or something like that. So it's not even like a big deal. So he finds out who, who's on, who owns the motorcycle. He, Sent, he like petitions that guy. He like sends somebody over and he's like, "Hey, how much did you pay for this motorcycle? Michael Bay will pay you double for it." And so the guy's like, "No, no, I I just barely bought it. Like I don't even want to do anything with it." And he's like, "No, you don't understand. Like this is Michael Bay. You pretty much just have to like like just take this money. You're gonna and and move oh on." Gosh. So this guy, he he like I think he like gives him like double it. So Michael Bay is like just filming this little thing. That's all about just like, um, it's like making some explosions and like having things fall into a pool or something like that. So like he does, he does some of the stuff. They just like kind of shoot it normal. And then at the end, he's like, Hey, I want to do like one more take. I want to like blow up this motorcycle that I just bought. And so he like, he, so like the crew chief guy comes up and he's like, no, no, like, are you, are you really sure? And like Michael Bay apparently like poured out two lines of Coke on like either side of his like little director's chair. And he's like, I'm going to give you until the, uh, until the time that I finish both of these lines to like have that thing rigged and ready to blow. Otherwise you're going to be like off this project. And then he like immediately snorts one of the lines and he's like, that's one. So this guy like hurries and runs up, like gets everything like all rigged up to blow. And then Michael Bay requests that the guy who he had just bought the motorcycle from sit right next to him while he blows uh, his motorcycle up in front of him. It's just like, oh man, that's freaking crazy story. Yeah, no, when I'm I'm working on films, I'm just happy that everybody is there. because I, I, I can't say I'm a tyrant when I do filmmaking. I, I guess I just, the people that I, I looked up to and, you know, you know, had great films, I just wanted to take from what they do. So a lot of times when, you know, I'm working with my actors, um, you know, if they have ideas, you know, let's give them a shot. Let's see if it works. I'm always down to see, you know, what comes out of it. Because sometimes they have better lines than what I wrote sometimes. And I know from, you know, what I, what I've read with Woody Allen, you know, he writes, you know, these great dialogue, you know, and, you know, as a very good writer, but when his actors, you know, have like a better idea, he just goes, he goes, yeah, let's go with it. Let's run with it. So for me, like when I write a script, it's, it's a blueprint and if something's better, let's take a shot at it. Um, what I did learn when, when I, uh, you know, work on films is that a lot of times when you say action, it makes everybody very anxious on set. And so I, I just changed it up because you, know, you don't want to keep doing it for like seven uh, takes and they're still tense. 
So, you know, we run things, you know, you know, you're rolling, you're rolling, you're rolling. And I just say, okay, just go ahead. And it seems that it, it makes people less anxious. I, I, I like having good relationships with my actors because if you have good relationships, they're going to want to do, they'll do anything for you. And they're also going to get great performances. And that's what you want. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, if you act like a dick, people are not going to really want to work with you anymore. And I, I just always know this one motto that I learned from from film school, and even when I was an actor off Broadway, is don't be an asshole. Never be an asshole. And I try to stick to that because you'll other people will want to come back and work with you again. And that's what, what I like to do. I like to stay with kind of the same people. Like there's one actor um, who she, in fact, she just won a Helen Hayes Award in DC, and she's a terrific actress. And I think we did like four films together, and she was just always amazing. Every time, she always gave a great performance, and yeah, you know, she's still going off and being successful with it. But yeah, you just have to build good relationships to make a great film. It's not a one man show, even though you know, as we you look back on these films, and you know we. We read these books of how great you know this director was or this actor is. Doing a film is it's a team effort. It's not just one person's artwork. It's hundreds of people's artwork. And so when you watch a film, it you're yeah, you're absolutely. celebrating everybody. I've, I've worked on a couple of film sets, and that's like a hundred percent the case. It's like sure, it's the yeah. director's idea but it's really comes together because he's got hundreds or thousands of people who are really helping to achieve that and oh absolutely without any of them yeah as much as hard as filmmaking is because it is hard and it's exhausting and i lose so much sleep because i get anxious when i do a film um it's also kind of the funnest part because you know i you spent maybe a couple months writing the script and you're usually i at least for me i'm usually by myself you know, in front of my computer screen, writing the film. And it's, you're the only person that's there. You're the only person that, sh that knows anything. And so it, it, that's hard and depressing work. But once you get to actually get the, the production made and you're getting to see people actually, you know, act out your, your scenes, you're going, finally, we're getting to the fun part of it. Yeah, it's absolutely a team effort. Yeah, one other question with making films: Do you do rehearsals, or do you just kind of have the actors kind of memorize their lines independently? And... Sure. Um. So I've actually done it both ways. Um. And I, I've seen plus and minuses to both of them. So I I did a film called Dinner Party, which the film did not turn out very well, but uh, <laughs> but we did do rehearsals on it because it the film was just so so much dialogue and so and you know, so much back and forth that i felt like we needed rehearsals and so we had the actors come in and we probably rehearsed for a few days without cameras or without anything just trying to get everything right and it was actually a lot of fun because we got to really know each other um as we were doing this because you're you know you're rehearsing scenes but also during breaks you're kind of together um so it's kind of like a i don't know a theatrical paradise in a way but also, once we get to the filming, sometimes things mm -hmm. just turned a little too theatrical. Like, it, it felt too much of a play. And so I felt like the, all the genuine feeling you got mm. um, when you do, like, the first shot was gone because, you know, they already rehearsed the script, like, for a few days. And now they're just doing the routine once we're filming. And 
it it just for me it didn't come off as like as a good effort. Like I felt like yeah, it was it was good to get us all together and to get to know each other and learn how we how we work together. But at the end, I felt like I wasn't getting the the emotions I wanted to because now it's like a mechanical machine. Uh, the next one that I did, I we tried to just basically do just light rehearsals like right before we shoot. So we do like one or two rehearsal takes and then we'd, we'd film it. And for me, that felt like the better way to run. And if we wanted to like kind of tweak things, that's the way we did. We would go, mm-hmm. hey, this isn't working. Let's just cut this line and let's shoot this this piece right here. Or, oh, the camera's not working there. Or, okay, you're not really feeling it there. Let's you know move you guys over here. It was... It was a much much better um, much better work, and I felt like I was getting a better payoff on it because I was still getting the genuine feelings from it because it's their very first time performing it. Have you done any improv yourself? I so I did theater when I was in in high school, so yeah, I was on the improv team for a little bit. Nice. Uh, I'm a big improv person, and I I also like writing and directing. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I've used sometimes improv in my directing theater, or I've directed improv in general. And so it was just making me think of that. Uh, I did a scene from, or I had to direct a scene for my directing class in, in college of all my sons. And uh, I'd have them, you know, they'd rehearse it and then, like, okay, let's, you know, improv it in a sense of let's let's do this take it back and and now do the whole scene angry or do the scene in different styles in a sense to kind of loosen them up but uh i get where where you're coming from you you want them not as tense and like you said when they're actually doing it and and once they've got that down they know where to stress certain parts and yeah It's always great to for loosening loosening up the actors, and they always seem to have great fun. I also have a lot of fun with doing improv. It, it's a lot of fun, um, but yeah, no, you you just don't want people to come off as like, okay, I turn here, I cry right here. This is this is this line where I raise mm-hmm. my voice. You just, you want the the true emotions, and um, and it's great for theater if you know, have all those rehearsals because you need it. I mean, you absolutely do need it for that. For film, I mean. I think the rehearsal just has to be as you're as you are shooting the scene. Um, I always do a table read uh, right beforehand when we have the time for it, uh, because you know one you get to know everybody, and you also get to to read all together, and you can write down you know suggestions and all those things. You can also see you know as a writer point of view, you know what's working, what's not working. Uh, but yeah, no, my my favorite part of filmmaking is just getting to work with the actor. And getting to see what they see in the scene and and what ways we can make it better. Because now we're collaborating. And that's always the best part for me. And sometimes even think of uh, my cinematographer thinks of shots that I didn't even think of. And getting to collaborate with them is also just so much fun. Because it is not a one-man show. I don't think I could ever make any of my movies without the actors I had or even the, the crew members. Uh, so... Do you have any expectation of when you might be able to work on your next film? Like when, when shooting process might begin or things like that? 
So for me, for my next project, I am definitely <laughs> trying trying to do it. My first feature film is kind of like my next shot. Um, I do not know when I'm gonna gonna right. get it, you know, going. I'm hopeful. I'm hoping probably by next year. Um, but yeah, also I want to kind of get my own career rolling back in filmmaking because it's it's been it's been a minute since I've gotten to work on anything, yeah. and so I'm just excited to work on anybody's projects. Um, um, so yeah, I'm excited for the future. Yeah, I I I've been mulling around a couple film scripts. Maybe I'll uh, want to hit you up sometime oh, when absolutely. I have them in a little bit more finished state, so that I can uh, I can pitch them to you, and you can you can give me your more professional opinion than than what I can just get from anybody. Oh, I else always I enjoy it. Here. So please do. Are you working on any others other stuff right now? Because I know you're always having like some new comic or new art piece. Is there anything you're working on? Yeah, I mean, um, just uh, various little things. I, I've been uh, looking for for some more work in uh, graphic design and whatnot. But uh, you know, I've I've picked up a couple times uh helping out on people's film sets and stuff like that just trying to i i would love i love film so much i kind of regret not actually studying more of it in, in college and maybe pursuing something with that but i'm like you know what it it's all fun i'll i'll figure out some of that stuff a little bit later on you know you learn uh, so much so on yeah the, I'm, I'm just you kind of so much on the production yeah. and you know on set i think i think a lot of yeah. the things i learned were just being on set um because I mean, you get to learn everything in school, and it's great. But you know, until you're like in the trenches and actually, you know, in it, is I think when you start really learning things. So I think you're doing the right thing of going into this, you know, on set and helping out and just, you know, soaking it all in. But you also have so many talents. I mean, I've seen yeah. your stuff, and you're you're super talented in a lot of things. Like <laughs> some of the drawing things, like God, I wish he was there for my storyboards because I'm still like doing stick figures <laughs> and pointing the arrows this way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you if you want some help with that, you just you just you know send send me some stuff. I would be more than happy to uh, you know build up a portfolio of of all type of stuff. I don't want to necessarily be a PA on on all the films. No, that's all I have. Um, so you won't, yeah, if I can <laughs> if I can help you out. Yeah, but no, I mean I'm hoping to yeah. see more of your your work because you have you have great uh, skills and and comics and and all these cartoons. It's always great to see your uh, stuff. Quinn, are you working on anything right now? I oh, yeah. I really appreciate that. Quince? Uh, me? Uh, no, I'm a dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time. I mean, that's, that's a tough job. It is. It is. No, uh, you know, I, uh, oh, like I said about improv, actually, Al and I are going to do some improv just uh, over Discord sometimes with some other improvisers uh, and Okay. And so if you you're up if you like uh we enjoy we both find we both enjoy a podcast called Improv for Humans. Um it's a long form improv. Oh, I never heard of it. Style and and so we want to kind of capture the essence and and do it ourselves. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, no, just some, something kind of fun. Um yeah, you should definitely check it out. It was a yeah. Improv for Humans was initially created by uh, Matt Besser, who is like one of the founding members of the UCB, which is like the the big improv group that like is in LA. It has uh, who's who's the super famous one? Amy Poehler. Uh, Amy Poehler was like one of the 
you know, from Parks and Rec and whatnot. Oh, okay. She was like, right. One of one of her the founding members for that. So they just they have a bunch of uh, improv cool. scenes. They even have one, I guess, in New York as well. UCB in New York. So. Well, I believe it. Because improv is huge there. Yeah, I mean, stand-up comedy. Are you in New York? No, I'm in D.C. right DC. now. Okay, yeah. I think you've said that a few times, but... Uh... Oh, you're fine. No, I just... I love my city so much. Washington, D.C. is always... There's always something going on. It's beautiful. You have all of those museums bias. that are free to go see. It's great. We yeah. do. You can do all the political thrillers you want. Exactly. It's also just fun because where I live, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm only just you know a few blocks away from you know where all the presidents uh, Ben was filmed, or I'm just a few blocks away from where State of Play was filmed, or you know, going down seeing where Peter Sellers walked down the street and being there. Mm. Uh, it's just it's it's weird little trivia I, I get to have in DC because even Godfather Part Two was at a hotel down downtown that I get to walk by. But it's fun little film trivia for myself of ah. What a great little city. You know, I could go to LA. It's probably millions of stops yeah. around there. No, that's really cool. Um, no, I, I used to live in New York, and it was it was a lot of fun. I think we're kind of winding down here. Is there anything that you want to plug or uh, you know, like highlight? It can be it can be something that you're working on. It could be somebody else that you just really want everybody to go check them out on on social medias or whatnot. Oh gosh, I don't know if I have any, anything to plug right now. Should I should come back? You know what? Next time I'll have things to plug. All right. Uh, definitely go watch more Billy Wilder films. Hey, that's a great plug right there. Yeah. Um, and then that ties into my my plug that I always say every episode: go and watch a movie. All right. Thanks, Quince. Thanks, Josh. Sure. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you. Thank you. You as well. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.